Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 1st, 2022. Regular viewers know that I've been obsessed over the last few months with a simple question. Who runs the world? Who's in charge of everything? Um, I've had a number of uh, articles written and, and, and guests over the last few months. I've always asked at the end of our conversation, uh, who runs the world? Who, who holds the power? Um, lots of different answers. One of the most intriguing was from one guest, Jamie Beaton. He's an educationalist, wrote a book called Accepted Secret to Gaining Admission to the World's Top Universities. I'm not sure about the book, but uh, I, I think uh, Jamie's response to who runs the world was very interesting. I'm going to run that first, and then I'm going to introduce uh, our guest today, because Jamie's response is particularly interesting. I think, I think mothers run the world. Um, you know, a, a mother really is uh, playing the critical role of raising uh, young children. A lot of the time, um, they're often disproportionately uh, responsible for a lot of these household uh, activities raising the family and you know hopefully that's shared more equitably over time but mums and, and a lot of the work that i do play this huge role in the child's life so all these top people we see around the world you know uh they all typically have a strong mum all these top people around the world they have a top mom and a remarkable mom and uh person I have on the show today, my guest, Anna Maleka Tubbs, the author of three, The Three Mothers, is not just a remarkable woman, remarkable mom, remarkable daughter, remarkable historian. <laughs> Thrilled, Anna, to have you on the show. Um, you've done a lot of writing about motherhood. You had one piece, We Need to Change the Way We View Motherhood. But most people will be familiar with your best-selling book from last year, The Three Mothers, how the mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin shaped a nation very successful book and and, and a very uh, intriguing and controversial uh, idea uh, mm -hmm. Anna, when i see a really successful book like yours the three mothers it always occurs to me why didn't anyone think of that before <laughs> why do you think you were the first person to write a book about the mothers of, of three of the greatest 20th century americans james baldwin malcolm x and martin luther king yeah, I think that's such a good question. It's a question I've asked myself multiple times because I don't think it was that original or that unique of an idea. I, and I don't it, mean it in that sense. I mean, it was. Yeah, original. Oh, no, no. Yeah, no, not that you say it. Other people say it to me. They often say this was so unique. It was so original that you came up with this. And I think I don't think so. I think it's kind of shocking that I was the first to write this. And so I believe it hasn't been written because we don't appreciate one, the role of mothers. Um, we don't pay enough attention to them in our conversations. We don't think about the critical nature of their role, how influential they are, how powerful they are very often. And then furthermore, we erase um, the contributions of Black mothers and Black women very specifically. And it's part of our kind of patriarchal system that we're not going to highlight the stories of women or the stories of women of color. And motherhood is kind of this epitome of the person that is taking care of others and not themselves always, or is putting others above themselves or in front of them. And so we often are okay with allowing mothers to do that. So we don't pay attention to them. We don't highlight them. We don't spotlight them. But I really hope that that changes. And I hope that this book plays a role in changing that, especially for Black mothers who have received the least support historically. 
Anna, the three men that you, whose mothers you focus on, MLK, Malcolm X, and James Baldwin, they're profoundly different kinds of men with very different kinds of lives, very different natures, political ideas, creative abilities. You write a lot, obviously, about their mothers. What is your theory, biological or cultural, of the relationship between mothers and sons or mothers and children? Yeah, mothers of all children. Um, We all have mothers, whether we have bad relationships with them or good relationships with them, whether we knew them at all, um, our lives are impacted by the woman who held us um, in her womb. And it's something that we need to take more care of and pay more attention to. And especially in these three cases, what the women did and what they were passionate about, what they cared about long before their sons were even thoughts in their minds became very influential in their sons' careers and their sons' passions and the way that they thought they could change the world. And like you said, they were three completely different people. Um, And I would also add that in not every example of a mother and child relationship, do you see such clear, obvious connections between the work, um, even when that influence is still strong. But in these three, it is undeniable that these sons were following in their mother's footsteps. And I can give some examples of that if you want me to. Well, let's do it. Rather than talking about the men, let's talk about the moms. Uh, Let's start with Malcolm X's mother, uh, Louise Little. I think of all the mothers, she, from my point of view, at least is the most inspirational because I think she's the most political. And it's probably no surprise that of these three, Malcolm X's politics is the most distinguished and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and influential. Yeah, I often say that I could describe the mom without saying whose mom she was. And by the time I'm done describing her, people would be right. Like, <laughs> it would have been hard to imagine her being the mother of of, of MLK. So Yeah, exactly. So Louise Little, she was born in Grenada um, at the end of the 19th century. And she was really influenced by her grandparents, who at one point were enslaved, and then they were able to gain their freedom. And so they teach her the importance of Black independence, Black pride, um, by any means necessary, that it's better to fight for your um, life than to live enslaved, than to bow down to your oppressor, that you should always stand up for yourself and know who you are, know your worth. And so... they? um, I know you write about the the influence of Marcus Garvey on the the family. How influential was Garvey in terms of Malcolm X's mother? Yeah, and his mother, yeah, I was going to get there. So after she leaves Grenada um, with this mindset of Black liberation, Black pride, Black independence, she joins the Marcus Garvey movement in Montreal, Canada. So she leaves as a young woman on her own and joins this movement. She becomes a writer for the Negro World newspaper. So she finds a calling in what Marcus Garvey is hoping he can spread around the world, but she sees it as as what her grandparents have taught her from the very beginning. Um, So this is why she's so excited really about this kind of activism, this kind of organizing. It's unapologetic. It's all about Black nationalism, Black independence, and Black self-sufficiency. So that is what is is most influential for her. That's actually how she meets her husband. They go on to have their children. And even in their parenting, they're thinking of ways to promote this kind of self-sufficiency. They teach their children how to garden and how to hunt and how to sew their own clothes. They are entirely about that Black independence and Black pride. And then in contrast, uh, for better or worse, is Martin Luther King's mom. Again, here we have a photo of her looking very glamorous, um, <laughs> Alberta. How, how would you characterize uh, Alberta King in contrast with um, with Malcolm X's mother, and particularly in the context of their different politics and perhaps different personalities? 
Absolutely. So Alberta Williams King was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and her parents were the leaders of Ebenezer Baptist Church. So as a little girl, she learns that faith is always intertwined with social justice, that if you're a religious leader, you must stand against oppression, against discrimination, against poverty, and that some of the strategies that her family have perfected over years and generations are marches, and boycotts. Um, they are also some of the very first members of the NAACP. Um, so at the time when Alberta and Louise are growing up, um, the NAACP kind of stood in contrast to the Marcus Garvey movement. Um, and not that they were on opposite sides of each other, but the kind of conversation around them was that they were opposites, similar to the way that we would later speak about Malcolm X and MLK Jr., even if they didn't call themselves as being on opposite sides of each other, other people characterize it that way. So it's very interesting to go a generation back and see that these mothers were a part of these two different movements as well. So how would um, how would MLK's mom, how would she have got on with uh, Louise Little? Do you think Louise Little might have looked down on her a little bit? I don't know. I try not to make any of those assumptions um, because I also believe that similar to their sons, they saw the role that they were both playing, um, that it wasn't just one way to make a difference in this nation, that there had to be many different strategies um, to accomplish freedoms and basic human dignity for Black people. And so um, I think that the mothers wouldn't have judged each other. <laughs> I actually just think they were... Yeah, but uh, I know everyone judges each other. That's just... For better or worse, <laughs> yeah, but I, I like to be careful. I don't want this to seem like they were on opposite sides because the truth of Black history in the United States is that all of these strategies have been necessary to accomplish change. Um, and there's something very dangerous when we try to pin one against the other instead of saying they would have had different approaches. I take that point. But on the other hand, also treating Black cultural history or politics as a single thing in itself is also problematic, yeah. isn't it? No, I would say that ultimately it is about Black life um, and people being treated as human beings. Um, that is the goal, I would say, across any Black freedom movement. Um, we would say we want to be treated as human beings, whether that's some who believe that through maybe some more um, assimilation uh, or a peaceful protests or Others are saying it's through burning everything down. The ultimate goal is we want to be treated as human beings. So that is a unifying thing across Black freedom movements. MLK, of course, was a remarkable man, perhaps the most remarkable American of the 20th century, if not in history. But it's also in some senses controversial, particularly in terms of his behavior towards women. Do you get into that in the book in terms of the way in which the three mothers pass on respect and responsibility in terms of sexuality in particular with women? I don't get into that too much because that felt to me like I was centering the sons more. So you'll see in most of the book, it really is about the mothers. Um, there's only one or two chapters. One's called Loving Our Sons that focuses on the son's work and how the work that they became famous for is directly related to everything I've told you about the mothers so far. Um, and then the other one is losing their sons. So, of course, the tragedy that their sons all pass before the mothers do. Um, and I speak to what that does for each woman and her identity and the continuation of her story, even after her child is taken from her, or her child passes away. Um, and I don't get into the, the kind of scandal that can come up with MLK Jr. I don't get into some of the politics that come up for 
for Malcolm X. I think enough has been written about that. I'm entirely about exposing stories that have not yet been told. You're a mother, of course, yourself. Um, do you have boys or girls? I have a boy and a girl. Yeah, I have a you little. You think that, you know, black, white doesn't really make any difference. D does a mother have a responsibility in terms of their sons to... I don't know what the right word is, teach, nurture them on respect for women sexually? Um, I would agree that regardless of your child's gender, there is a mission and a goal that many mothers have, which is to make their children the best human beings they can be. Of course, we have different views of what that means um, across different families. Uh, but certainly in our family, it is something that matters for both of our kids, that they know how to respect other human beings, that they know that they're not better than anybody else, but they're also not supposed to be treated as less than anyone else either. So a balance of making sure that they also have humility, but they also know to stand up for themselves and that they know the strategies that others are going to use against them. So it's a balance, um, but I, I agree that in my own personal opinion, there is a responsibility that parents have to guide their children to be the best global citizens they can be. And uh, it must have been a bit of a struggle to figure out which mothers to deal with. I mean, MLK and Malcolm X obviously are natural candidates, strong candidates to be included in this book. Baldwin, James Baldwin is different. Um, perhaps the most respected of all 20th century Americans. I mean, the amount of times he's come up in my shows on so many different fronts in terms of his ideas, his writing. Did one or the others, did they struggle to get into your threesome or was it just a natural? It was, so I kind of narrowed it down. My original kind of goal was just to highlight Black women's stories that had been erased. And then I thought I was going to do something around mothers. And so the process just kept getting kind of narrower and narrower. I decided I was going to focus on the civil rights movement because we come back to it all the time in our conversations around policy. And then I said, okay, I'm going to talk about mothers of sons because there's something I want to really discuss around this notion of the self-made man and how often if a woman accomplishes something, we're always thinking about the men in her life and we're highlighting the men in her life. But we very rarely do that when a man accomplishes something thing. We don't think about the women um, who supported him in getting there. So I said, I'm going to kind of play with the patriarchy there. So I considered many different people. Um, and then I watched I Am Not Your Negro, um, this documentary that was based off of James Baldwin's writings. Um, yeah, I saw that. It's an excellent film. Beautiful. And he talks about his friends, Martin, Malcolm, and Medgar. And so that narrowed me down to four because I thought this is a really interesting conversation that I want to participate in. Um, and I then researched their mothers. I already was at a disadvantage as a researcher who couldn't interview the subjects of her book. And so I thought the more famous the sons are, the more access I might have to the beginning stages of this information. And I would have more sources to go to, to expand and actually write this book. Medgar Evers of the four was yeah. the least famous. Um, and yeah, he's, then, uh, he's on the bench, Medgar, maybe for the next book. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then I realized that all three of these moms in my preliminary research, they were all born within six years of each other. And their famous sons were all born within five years of each other. So this was for me, like the final thing I needed to say, these will be my three because I can bring them together without reducing their differences, without reducing them into kind of categories, which often happens for black women. Um, but instead, really examine how all these events in American history are happening at the same time for them um, and bring them together in time. But then you can also see how socioeconomic status is going to affect them, um, is going to change their way of right. being 
world and changing the world itself and what they're going to teach their children and their approaches to freedom. Um, so all of that becomes very relevant. So every single chapter is based off of 10 years um, in American history and in their lives. A lot of readers actually um, miss the part where I say that they're all happening at the same time and they think I've kind of maybe made it work for the book, but that's just how it was happening. So I'm telling the whole story in order and that's how I decide who I'm going to introduce first in each chapter. It depends on what happened to them first, who had their children first um, or who gets married first. And that's how we proceed through the book. Sounds like you had a lot of fun writing this book. It I did. A really <laughs> wonderful project. And it's so nice to see such a wonderful project be so successful. Let's talk about Baldwin's mom, probably the least well-known, uh, the least documented, Definitely. perhaps the most impoverished. Uh, tell me about J James Baldwin's mother. What was unique, remarkable about her? Yeah, like you said, she um, really comes from the most humble of means out of the three families. Generally, she was born in Deal Island, Maryland, tiny town. Um, she lost her mother when she was very young and really um, learns from her father and her siblings about how you can move through some of those tragedies, sorry, tragedies like losing your mother at a young age. She becomes somebody who focuses on how you find healing, no matter what happens, how you can focus on positivity, focus on the light. Um, and she's a writer. So she believes that through writing and through the power of words, she could also help other people through their darkest of times. And during an era where Jim Crow is kind of the, the, the rule and law of the land, she believes she can help people think about what's possible and how we can progress past that and how we can confront pain and confront hatred head on. Um, so everybody who I interviewed who knew her, the word that was consistent was love. She was entirely about love and how you find forgiveness and how you help other people find those things as well. So later on, when her son says that he's a witness to the power of light and he's doing that um, through his writing, he's a witness in his writing, he was really just quoting his mother, which I find to be very beautiful. Do you think that there was a particular kind of intimacy between Baldwin and his mother that didn't exist uh, with with MLK and Malcolm? That's interesting. Yes, I will say to a certain extent, he was Burtis's firstborn. Um, and for his first few years of life, she's a single mother. He originally had her last name. So his um, first name was James Arthur Jones um, before she married uh, his stepfather, David Baldwin. So there is this closeness between the two of them. Um, James Baldwin felt that he was his mother's right-hand man. He was beside her um, as her other eight children are brought into the world. Um, and he really speaks so beautifully about his mom. Um, and one of his final wishes before he passes away is that she would be buried next to him. Um, and as I mentioned, she has nine children altogether. Um, but to this day, if you go and you want to honor James Baldwin, um, maybe lay some flowers around his grave, you will see there's a plaque that says Burtis in one corner, James in the other, and Baldwin right in the middle. In this kind of conversation, I, you got, I got to be careful anyway, falling into stereotypes, making silly errors. But uh, the fact that Baldwin was gay, does that play any role, do you think, in, in his intimacy? And, and I'm not suggesting that all gay men have particularly close relations with their moms. But is there something in that, do you think? I don't know. And I don't think necessarily it actually 
played a huge role, not in the sense of erasing this important part of his identity, but instead that I think Burtis in many ways was ahead of her time. She, in my research, doesn't at all make a big scene about it or make a big deal about it. She doesn't comment on it very much. And she also does say the things that bother her about James. So there are little letters that she writes where she says she's concerned about his drinking and she's concerned about him smoking too much. She's concerned when he cusses too much. Those are things that bothered her. Um, so she's also not a person who doesn't say when something is bothering her. Um, and so she she seems to have just said, I, I love my children. I love whatever and whoever they love, I want to make sure that they're happy and with my kind of revolutionary love for them, that they know what they are worth, no matter where they travel to. Um, and he introduced everybody to her. Um, so I do think they are close. I don't think it's as a result of the fact that, um, that he was gay, but I also don't think that she... I don't want to say it in a way that makes it seem like it's a small thing. I mean, she just didn't care. Like it just didn't matter. And that's kind of more so where our conversations around sexuality are moving today um, as parents. It's, it's not, let's have this huge moment and a huge reveal and make children feel like they have to tell us all this information. And um, But instead that no matter what, they are loved and they are accepted. And I think she was very much ahead of her time in that. What about the three fathers? Yeah, fascinating stories as well. I find them to be very inspiring. Um, I do talk about them in the book and the marriage chapter. Um, but I will say a lot more people know about the dads than they know about the moms. So for instance, most people would know that MLK Sr. was also a reverend. Um, they know that he was a powerful orator. Um, but they didn't know, for instance, that it was actually Alberta's parents who started the church that MLK Jr. Um, later inherits. And a lot of people know that Malcolm X's father was an organizer, um, but we never knew that he met his wife because they were both organizers. And a lot of people know that James Baldwin's stepfather was incredibly abusive. And many have assumed that James Baldwin became a writer in spite of this, instead of thinking about his mother being a writer, and this being the reason that he felt like he could follow um, down this creative path. So I'm really just trying to balance out the story. It's not to say that the fathers are not influential um, or that the fathers are not inspiring. They also have incredible stories, um, but we have largely celebrated them um, and we have ignored the mothers. Baldwin is a writer, of course, but a, a most political writer. Malcolm X and uh, MLK were both politicians. Let's talk a little politics. A couple of years ago, I had the, the wonderful scholar Martha S. Jones on the show about the struggle of black women to vote in America. She has an excellent book. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Vanguard. Yeah, we ran a panel together recently. Yeah, she's a delightful person. It's a wonderful book. I got myself, again, I'm always in trouble, Anna, so that's the nature of things. But I got myself in trouble with one recent guest by saying that perhaps Black American women have more commitment, affinity, love of democracy than other peoples, and they accuse me of one kind of racism or another. But there's certainly, and I've had this conversation with many people, including Carol Anderson, I'm sure you're familiar with her work, who teaches at Emory. She claims that Black women are sort of quintessentially an American in their commitment to voting and democracy. Did, did, a, did a, a commitment to democracy, um, to reforming America, to give black Americans the same political rights as, as, as white Americans, 
did this tie these three mothers together, even if they were from different cultures, different geographies, even different nations originally? Absolutely. And I mean, the way I describe this, um, when I'm thinking from the perspective of Black motherhood, is that historically, Black mothers are the only ones by law who have been deemed the givers of property through our children, the givers of non-life, that it was written in law that our children were not human beings, that they were somebody else's property. Um, and this is something that we've never accepted. Um, we can't accept that because we believe we are human beings. We certainly believe our children are the most precious human beings. And so we've always had to fight for other people to see the world that we do with the possibility that all of us could be treated um, with dignity and with respect and have access to basic rights. And so Black women have constantly been thinking of how do we move this nation forward? Um, even if they say they're not ready for our vision, we have to, we have no choice. We can't accept the circumstance as it is right now. And in the celebration of Black mothers, I'm also thinking of all the many Black mothers beyond the biological, our community mothers, our foremothers, um, everyone who was thinking about what am I doing right now so that those who are coming after me um, have a better chance at life, um, have what they deserve to be treated as the human beings who they are. And I think so much of our activism and our commitment to activism um, as Black women stems from this real basic principle of people telling us from the beginning that we were not human beings and our children were not, and us knowing that that is not true and us having to do the work to make sure that our country aligns with our vision of what's what's available for it. Another possible candidate for your book, again, you don't need me to tell you this, another great Black American 20th century, early 21st century is, of course, <laughs> Barack Obama, first African-American president. He yeah. had a white mother, of course. Again, don't need me to tell you that. Yeah. Do you think that if had you included him in this narrative, it might have been slightly different, slightly more problematic in, in your book? Huh, that's a good question. I also am mixed. My mom was also white. Um, and I was- Yeah, and I have a photo of you. Well, you, you write about your mom, yeah. That's, is that you or your mom? That's me, that's me. Okay. <laughs> that's me with my baby, yeah. <laughs> but your mother had three kids, right? And you lived all over the world. Yes, exactly. And it's just a different, I mean, it's a different story that I would be telling. And I was very clear in this book, I want to celebrate- why black. different, Anna? Why would it be different if a white versus a black mother? Well, a white woman has never by law been told that her children are going to be property. <laughs> that, that's one difference. Right. To with. Um, and to think about even how she has lived her life in the U.S. My mom said it all the time. I don't know what it's like to be a black person in the U.S. Yes, I birthed you. Yes, you're my daughter. But I can't tell you that I know what it's like to be in your shoes. I can say that I'm going to do my part and I'm going to stand beside you and I'm going to learn and do what I need to do to make this world worthy of you. But I'm never going to tell you that I know what it's like to be you. Um, and that's critical. So, yes, if I was writing about a white mother who had black children, there would be a different story that I was telling. It's not contending with um, someone, you know, trying to take your children from the beginning of slavery in the United States and how that's carried forward. Um, it has, we wouldn't be talking about the Black maternal health crisis, for instance. We wouldn't be speaking about um, really this experiments being done on in Black women's bodies when they're enslaved and they're just wanting to birth their children and instead they're being cut into without anesthesia. Like there's a very unique history of what has happened here um, to Black women. 
and how black women have resisted that at every turn when we have been dehumanized, we have continuously claimed our humanity and spoken our humanity uh, into existence. And that's something that is, is not the same for all moms. How much has changed, Anna, over the last 100, 200 years? You're, as you said earlier, the, the fruit of a mixed marriage. You went to Stanford. You got a PhD from Cambridge University. You're a best-selling author. Can you fit yourself, your narrative, into the, the narrative of James Baldwin's mother, for example? Or are yeah. these entirely different experiences now? And the biggest thing about this book is celebrating the many differences of Black motherhood on top of saying there are some unique things in the ways that we are treated that doesn't matter if I have these degrees or that I'm, you know, um, of mixed race, that when I enter a hospital, I'm treated as a Black woman. Um, this happened to Beyonce. It happened to Serena Williams. So in many ways, so many of the things that I'm talking about happen across the board to Black women, no matter what privileges, no matter what opportunities. Um, but on top of it, then we can also speak to Black women are not a monolith. Um, and unfortunately, when we're represented, so many people represent us as if we are. And so in this book, I was also trying to say, look at the many different ways of being Black women and Black mothers. Let's celebrate this incredibly rich diversity of Black womanhood. And so often that's not afforded to us. Um, we're objectified, we're put into boxes. Um, but we also do need to pay attention to across the board, again, no matter your background, no matter your experiences, how Black women are treated. That when we see Alberta, Burtis, and Louise growing up in these very different circumstances, they still also face similar discrimination, um, lack of access to resources, lack of protections. So it's a balance between those two things that we're talking about. Anna, let's end on some policy. You had a very successful TED speech viewed almost two million times, How Mums Shaped the World, in which you talk about the need for policy still, the burden of not just the Black mother, but particularly the Black mother. Uh, it was looking around the internet and talking about what the world is like for working moms in 2022. The best states are, of course, in the Northeast, the worst mostly in the South. No surprise there, particularly in terms of African-American mothers. What needs to change? What should we be focused on in terms of making the lives of American mothers and particularly Black American mothers better in 2022? Yeah, there is a way in which every policy and every law we can relate back to motherhood. But if I'm thinking about the most pressing things, um, I certainly think that gun control is very necessary for mothers to feel like their children are going to be safe um, in the country that they live in. Uh, we need parental leave that's universal, um, that isn't only four weeks, but instead follows what other peer nations do, which can be up to a year, maybe even two years of support. Um, we need universal pre-K, uh, universal affordable childcare, things that really center the family center um, many times the woman who has been told that she needs to guide this family, but with very little support and very little resources. And I say it often from a sociolo sociologist perspective that the first society we are all exposed to is our family unit. And in order for our larger society to do well, these smaller societies have to do well. There is no way to keep um, any ills that happen in these small societies from having ripple effects across the larger one. And so we need to center um, policy that can help support that unit. 
as much as possible. Um, and also in the lives of these three women um, who I'm honored to have studied and written about, if there are policies that could have helped them and we still don't have them in place today, that's a good place to start. Joe Biden, I think many people would argue, has disappointed us or Americans on his initiatives in terms of protecting and legislating female rights, where mothers' rights. Kamala Harris, of course, is waiting in the wings. Do you think that the kind of things that you're talking about will only ever really happen in America with a female president? Mm, that is a great question. Not that Kamala is a mother herself. I don't know whether you have to be female and a mother or just no. female. I don't think you have to be female. I don't think you have to be a mother. And also, sorry, I meant to say that also the policy of protecting our right to choose whether or not we're going to become mothers is critical. Um, but to to that question, I think others could. I think that a, a male president could um, if they really prioritized it. And also if we understood and what the TED Talk is all about is changing our narrative and our understanding of motherhood. It's not only mothers that need to listen to this talk. It's everybody. It's not only mothers who need to pay attention to mothers' issues. Mothers and the way that they are treated impacts all of us. Going back to what we said at the very beginning, we all had a mother. Um, and we need to start thinking about policy that just supports this initial stage of life and, and the people who are being told and socialized to guide it. Um, that's where it all needs to begin. Well, there you have it. Uh, I'm not going to ask you, Anna, who runs the world because you've yeah. already written about it in your book, Three, <laughs> The Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. Wonderful book. And it's, Thank you. it's, it's so great that a book that is so... I wouldn't say original, but so sharply defined has been so successful. So congratulations. I think we're all eager to see what you're next. I know you've got a couple of books in book deals uh, already. I'd be yeah. eager to see what comes next. Uh, uh, finally, uh, Anna, what are you reading these days? What is um, what is exciting you in addition to the three mothers? I have to say I do read a lot of children's books, of course. I, <laughs> I have imagine, a two-year-old yeah. and an eight-month-old. Um, so one of my favorite children's books is The Undefeated by Kabir Nelson. Um, and then when I have a chance to, I love reading novels. Um, I actually just submitted a draft of my novel to my agent. So hopefully that'll be out soon. Wow. My favorites is um, Children of Blood and Bone, um, that series. So I just finished the Children of Virtue and Vengeance as well. And yeah, that's what I would recommend right now.